Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of Turned Out of Punk Splits, a show where we bring back two or more former guests of Turned Out of Punk to talk about what else? Punk music. Today on the show, from the fantastic Radio Raheem Records, from Painkiller Records, and countless bands, and also purveyor of the fine record store Big Dig Records out in Cambridge, Massachusetts, Chris Menacucci, a.k.a. Cooch, is on the show with the greatest vocalist of all time. From the band Poison Idea and from the new solo project, Crime Scene, as I said, the greatest to ever do it, Jerry A. is on the podcast. Returns to the show for, this is the third time. Cooch's second time on the show, Jerry's third time on the show, and boy, is it a doozy. Cooch is one of the biggest Poison Idea fans I know. Asked Cooch to come on the show. Uh, Cooch forgot about it. <laughs> Remembered, came on the show. So I don't think Cooch had all the questions he would have liked to have asked Jerry all lined up. But that being said, it's a very good conversation, a very fun conversation, a poignant conversation at times with someone who's seen it all. Jerry A is someone who has seen punk from, or hardcore certainly from its inception. Punk too. He was going to punk shows before Poison Idea. And someone who's never left it. Someone who's always been involved, always been a fan of this stuff and had some dark years, some wilderness years and has come through it and keeps coming through it. Recently, Jerry has had some health issues and come through that. So we're sending healing vibes to Jerry A and hopefully Jerry will be back up and running in some, whatever form Jerry chooses to do very soon. In the meantime, if you would like to support Jerry or, 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 you know, just pick up some incredible music, head over to poisonidea.bigcartel.com. You can pick up every, like, you go through this. It's truly some of the greatest records ever recorded under the banner of punk and hardcore. Poison Idea are, I don't know, what do you say about this band? Like, they're the greatest. There's no other way to put it. They are a band that just, every time you forget how good they are, you throw on a record and you're like, damn it. They are the best to ever do this thing. So, uh, yeah, so head over to Big Cartel, pick up some of those records, and, uh, God, pick them all up. Don't pick some of them. Pick them all up. There's so many. Like, if you don't have Kings of Punk, you don't you don't have a complete record collection. You don't have uh, War All the Time. You don't have a complete record collection. There's, anyway, just talking about Poison Ideas catalog. We're going to be talking about Poison Idea a lot. Also, by the same token, head over to Radio Raheem Records, and pick up some of the stuff that uh, Cooch and Rich have done with that label. Unbelievable reissues, incredible books. We've had a lot of people that have done projects with them on this podcast over the years, and they continue to put out fantastic stuff, real like archival pieces about punk and hardcore. Also, by the same token, Painkiller Records, Cooch's other label that he does with CeCe and, and other people, it's a label that also has put out nothing... Uh, a couple records I don't like as much as others, but they've put out basically nothing but great records ever since they started way back when. A group of people with fantastic tastes, and that is reflected in the records they put out. And I would apply that also to Cooch's Record Store. If you are in the Cambridge area, head over to Big Dig Records. I got I got some great stuff when I was there last time. I got the first Bouncing Soul single when they were like doing Red Hot Chili Peppers sounding stuff. I got... An overcast record. I got some Kill by Death stuff. It's a fantastic shop. And as for me, I play in a band. We are called Fucked Up. You can find out more information over at fuckedup.cc. 
We are currently on tour with The Damned, if you're listening to this when it came out. Hopefully we see it at some of these shows, because The Damned are, are right up there with Poison Idea. That's one of the greatest bands of all time. And then we will be going to Europe in a couple of weeks as well. So check out tour dates over there, pick up our new single, and that is that. Sit back, relax, and enjoy Jerry A. and Chris Minicucci on Turned Out of Punk Splits. Jerry, Cooch, welcome both of you back to the podcast. This is a Turned Out of Punk Splits, and uh, this is like a chance to bring back two people that have been on the show. And for me, it's like a fantasy baseball kind of situation (laughs) where I have someone that's been on the show and then someone else who's been on the show. And I'm like, I wonder what it would be like if they also had a conversation. And as I was telling you off air, Jerry, not, not to put you over too hard cooch, but there's, there's, I don't think anyone else in the world that has been more of a poison idea archivist as a fan than cooch and cooch definitely has, uh, yeah, like gotten me poison idea records and, and blown my mind with his collection. And so I'm happy to bring this together. Cool. That's great. So, so Cooch, in the in the future, then maybe I could contact you and um, ask you questions because I think you know more about about Poison Idea than I do. Well, I was asking you um, questions um, last time I ran into you. So, <laughs> yeah. Well, honestly, one of uh, Tom Tom Champion's roommates, this person who was living with him, um, when we did our demo tape before Pick Your King, he was Tom's roommate in this house that they lived in. He recently contacted me and asked me, he told, he said, I have, you know, three clear pick your Kings four black pick your Kings. These, this, you know, could, I know if I put them on eBay, they'll take, you know, whatever, 40%. Would you mind trying to get rid of them for me? And, um, I don't know what they're worth. I have no idea. So, you know, I kind of just put it up on social media. I was like, Oh, by the way, I have, I'm selling these for somebody. And if anybody, so half the people are legit and they'll like, well, what do you want for them? And I go, well, I don't know. What are they worth? I really don't know. And the other half are like window shoppers right. who will, yeah, who will just go, oh, $100 for a single. Oh, it's too rich for my blood. You know, I'm like, well, thanks for, thanks for contacting me. You know, if you're, to call me every day. if you're selling for a hundred bucks, Jerry, I'll take all of them. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, one of the, one of the records was, um, the accused that first accused with the Xerox covered thing, the, the Mar- Xerox cover- Martha yeah, Splatterhead, the, right? The first one, yeah, with like some inserts and all this stuff, and and uh, people were the guys were kind of going deep about the matrix number, and and um, <laughs> I, I, was, I had no idea. I was like, you know what? And, and I kept going back and forth, and a lot of people were like, it's you know, four fifty, four fifty. Then some guy goes, he asked me if I sold it yet, and I go. And I told him the story. I go, you know what? It's such a pain in the ass. It's just, I hate doing this. I don't like, for one thing, I'm not a salesman. I don't like, you know, I usually just give stuff away. And the guy goes, what if I just give you 600? And I was like, it's yours, guy. Go ahead. So it's it's crazy. But I, I know, you know, I remember the first time I saw $1,000, you know, this woman at a, a record swap. Um, I heard somebody go, can you hold this? I'll be right back. And he ran off to get $1,000 and came back to get that the child molester single. <laughs> and I, and I remember so that was the first, that was years ago. And I remember going, thinking to myself, wow, this is either completely insane or this is the future. This is the way it's going to be from now on, you know, and now you hear the stories about the, you know, the minor threat test pressings and. <laughs> well, like there's so. that, 
that, that Charles Bronson record where they go after Felix Von Havoc for paying $600 <laughs> for, is it the Necros or the Fixed Vengeance? It was Sex Drive. Oh, Sex Drive. Well, Sex Drive still at this point is probably close to 10 grand. So pretty good investment on Felix Von Havoc's part. Right. <laughs> yeah, there you go. There you go, definitely. And it's funny, you know, on the back of those records where we put like pay no more than $25 and we were, you know, joking, you know, because we never thought. You know, because now that this person's asking me to sell these records for him, I have those some first pressings of the uh, record collectors that say that on the back of it. And I remember um, taking like because we we press the record and Tom would go, OK, you know, we each get 10 records a piece. And so I remember taking them down to the record store and 10, 10 red vinyl record collectors and walking out with fifty dollars. I was like so happy, you know. <laughs> Five bucks a piece for these 12 inch records. I remember, like, yes, this is great. You know, I'm fascinated. I'm, I'm fascinated always, though, by like the way you guys realized that what this was was important that early on, canonizing it in a way almost as it's coming out. And I think that's like, like, you know, it's, it, and I guess everyone probably does this with the music that they love and, the, and they grow up with. Like, I'm sure there's like a, a passionate group of, of ravers that could have the same sort of conversation about rave records, but I don't know how many $10,000 rave singles there are. There probably are some, but, but like, you know, at the same time, like you guys were kind of, you know, like, like to tally up the cover of record collectors. Now, like we'd be into, I don't know, like, what is that? 50 grand worth of records, cooch more like, right. <laughs> got to get the list out. Got to get the list. Yeah. Out. Someone catalog the whole list. Have you seen that? Yeah. Yeah, I saw on the new on the new pressing of the record, uh, Mark from TKO did that. He kind of, but there was like three records he didn't know what they were, and he couldn't see. Just you know, so people were, like I say, deep diving and looking at it. Kind of, you know, you kind of go, kind of look look away from it to kind of see it out of the corner of your eye. And but um, yeah, there there were a lot of expensive records there, definitely. Well, and to me, it also like you know like there's this sort of idea of like what is and isn't punk and like what belongs in sort of like the the punk museums of the world and like that to me is like <laughs> that cover i'm like okay here it is here's the snapshot this is the stuff that this is the stuff that was important up to a certain year well you know in the smithsonian how they have the uh the chromag the, the statue of the chromag guy walking out of the muck and you know with the in the museum they should have somebody should actually do that somebody should take tom's living room and put the you know the blonde twin reverb and the bottles of old english and get the real the real records and sp spread them out you know with the you know all those things that would be that would actually be a really cool art piece to do that that would be also or it could be an instagram experience type thing like they do now with stranger things and all that sort of stuff but one that i actually pay, would pay 30 dollars to go and have my photo taken in well that's oh, what yeah, they did with the uh when when they made that agnostic front like the Roger and Vinny sort of documentary thing a few years ago, the guy Ian that made the film he like recreated Roger's old apartment in the corner of his his uh, loft studio. Oh wow! <laughs> and he had me. He wanted to borrow like probably you know like we're saying like ten thousand dollars worth of records to use as props. And I was like, I'll just make you really nice color photocopies of them. <laughs> yeah, I, don't know. <laughs> I don't know if people will be able to see the matrix numbers on the on the Blu-ray. Yeah, but then we did a funny thing is when I was giving him to him, he came into my house and my buddy was over and we dropped them on my porch and videoed my friend like stomping up and down on them. Oh, man. 
And we posted it on Instagram and people went crazy thinking it was, you know, real like misfits and like, you know, antidote and shit like that. So yeah. everybody went nuts thinking that we stomped out all these really expensive records. So when so, did you... Oh, go on. Sorry, go ahead. No, no, I was thinking about when you said that, I was thinking about uh, Vivian Westwood's uh, son burning all that stuff. Burning all the records. Yeah. 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 <laughs> it's That's... funny because it's like, it's one of those things that like, you know, like if I were to die, I was thinking about this today because I have this, um, God, I'm blanking on the guy's name, but this sort of Newfoundland weird out there kind of um, glam record that I bought from Pete that, that Tom used to own, like Pig Champion used to own. And to me, it's like, a, a, it's, a, it's a really important record in my collection because it's one of his records from his record collection that Pete bought and then, you know, ultimately I got. Okay. But if I die tomorrow, that to my kids is just a, a random piece of vinyl. Like there's the, the meaning that we kind of imbue this stuff with is also limited to the believers and outside of the believers it's it's like worthless which is you know amazing which is why i think i love it even more yeah i I totally understand there's there's a couple records in my collection that um when i when i hit the skids it was homeless i um tried to sell them and they were like, oh, I'll give you 50 cents for it. There were, there were shitty records that really nobody likes and they weren't popular. They weren't collectible. And I saved them. And it's one was, um, what was the one? Well, one's uh, pink section, the, sh- the tour of China one, the seven inch. Yes. That's one. And the other one is an agony column. I had it all worked out and it's, 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 it's English like, post-punk kind of a punky pop single kind of like you know kind of like uh kind of like protex in a way and protex that's that from ireland on uh the band good vibrations, that, uh, good, vibrations. Yeah, good vibrations yeah so those th- those couple records and i kept those and i still have those just because to me those are so special to me and it's you know they're they're special they're like you know magic records and i have those and i'll never get rid of those and um but the but what, what I was thinking a moment ago when you were talking about that, I see I belong to like a couple uh, chat rooms with like these English punks, these old English punks who are older than I am, and that's if you can believe that. And uh, they're they you know the Sex Pistols are like just you know the the end all to them, and they the new whatever the new pressing of this came out on gold vinyl for this and that, and I'm and I always say is like. Does it sound better? Does it sound better than you know the old one? It's like because honestly, it, it all comes down to the music. I know, I know that it's it's nice to to smell this and to see the Mona Lisa and to think about what it was like for them to at that moment to paint that and to you know be there. But the music is it's just it's it, to cast that spell and stuff. It's you know. And now they're even improving that music. You know, you're you're hearing things that weren't there. You know, were were there, but you would weren't be able to hear them. So it's it's like I think that's I I, I understand the you know the the messages written inside of the seven inch you know sleeves and this kind of things. Those those are you know like hieroglyphics from you know the pyramids and stuff. But uh, it's always been the music. I th- I think. Well, it's like, yeah, you pick your king, right? And for me, it's it's records, but for someone else, it's it's Pokemon cards. And 
you know, we're probably both laughing at each other and the prices we'll pay, we're willing to pay for this stuff. But at the same time, it's just like, it's just, you know, it's, it's an arbitrary choice of where you're going to waste your money. But what is Pokemon cards? What, what kind of like kind of physical action feeling do you get from those? Is it, I mean, like when you, are you talking about when you chase those, those things in the, the clouds and stuff? No, no, they have like a card. It came out of a card game, and there's like I, I know, I know that, but I mean, I'm I'm just talking about the music, the the music, the oh, you know, no, I'm just saying, like, but I like for me, yeah, right, like I'm just talking about the actual idea of collect record collecting, you know, oh, versus yeah. Pokemon card, Pokemon card collecting, or or wherever you know, like skiing or mountain climbing or or like wherever you choose to like scuba diving or like you know, wherever you choose to waste your money, <laughs> other than right. Like, Right. Well, what do you think? What do you think Tom was? I mean, he's the one that coined that phrase, you know, record collectors are pretentious assholes. He was a record collector. He he loved doing that. He would buy those UK sub singles with all those different colored bottoms, the same, the same record, you know, the same record, the Dickies and all that stuff. So what, what do you think? What was that? What is that about? Is, is it, is it baseball cards? You know, is it Pokemon cards? Is that what it is really? Yeah, I guess it's like us trying to organize a chaotic world, right? Like finding a little section that we understand and then trying to organize it and fill in the gaps and, you know, like putting a puzzle together, whatever, you know, you decide that puzzle will, would be, you know, I like how many copies of pick your King do you have Cooch? How many different versions? Uh, I don't know, like 10 or 12. <laughs> <laughs> like when did you first hear poison idea? Uh, I think probably like right when I started high school, Somebody gave me a copy of, I think it was, it was Discontent and a Darby Crash 7-inch. And this kid I was friends with that I played music with, like, gave me both of them at the same time. And I was just like, holy shit. Yeah. Discontent's, like, one of those records that, like, you know, the first time you hear it, it just, like, it hits you in the gut. And it, there's no, I don't know, there's, like, no other record like that. Right. Like, I, I really, uh. Yeah, we talked about this before, Jerry, but like that that song is just like, especially that second verse where you're not even speaking, like not even saying the <laughs> words, you're like so angry. It's just like, it's just like, that's perfect hardcore. Well, some songs, you know, I think they write themselves. That song is always there. Just, you know, just need to be, <laughs> I just need to, to like deliver it. It, it was, it was, yeah, it's, it's just the, the feeling the feeling, the, the anger, the energy was always there. It was that 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 cause and that problem and that, you know, is just such a fucked up, you know. Yeah, it's that's that's what that was. It's you know, you look you look at the situation why that was written, and there it is. And that that we put the music to that whole that whole, you know. <laughs> And last time we talked about it, like, I think we even talked about how it's like, it's a song that's still relevant. You still know? relevant but I th- today. Yeah. And, and looking at what's happened since we had that last conversation on the show, January 6th and all sorts of other, like, you know, re- re- resurgence of this sort of like ideology in a lot more public way than they used to be around. It's like, sadly, even more relevant now than it was two years ago. Well, Damien, that, w- that word you said, sadly. <laughs> It's that's what I, when you said that I was thinking if I was to redo a version today to update it, it would almost be like either shaking your head in disbelief or, or just like crying and saying, just like, <laughs> what the 
please, people. It's like, come on. It's just like, honestly, it's just like, maybe, maybe it's with my age where it's just, it's, you know, you live and you learn and you get to the point where, and you see this and you just can't believe it. You can't believe it. It's like, honestly, uh, I mean, yeah. I feel like either crying or just like, just laughing like a lunatic, you know, <laughs> because cause it, make, it, it will drive you crazy. It'll drive you crazy. It's just like so unbelievable. Unbelievable what's going on. Well, there, there's like an almost absurdity to it, you know, like watching you see the guy from Mr. Show there, or you see uh, the guy, one of the, you know, obviously a long time ago, former vice founder dudes running around there. And you're like, this is bizarre. This is like a comedy sketch someone wrote. <laughs> it wasn't one of the, some couple of like heavy metal guys there too, singers and heavy metal bands. Too. Yeah, the guys from Iced Earth were there. <laughs> <laughs> it's just <laughs> a real well, uh who's who <laughs> yeah there's right yeah that's kind of like a it's either gonna be a new reality show or like a gilligan's island where they put them all in <laughs> <laughs> i know like it's funny because like post portlandia i think uh i think people look at portland differently obviously but a lot of this sort of like wild sort of reactionary politics stuff like that's that's like not so much i guess downtown portland or anything but that's certainly in oregon there was a long history of that sort of stuff yeah yeah i mean i you know what when portlandia was going on i i didn't i lived downtown portland and i you know lived in the east side and i and i just thought it, it it's almost like uh, the power of suggestion. It's like these people were like, this is what's going on. They took a little fringe. You go, this is Portland. This is Portland. And, and I was going, this is not Portland, but people, Hey, well, that looks kind of nice. That, that, that's Portland. That must be what Portland is. And all of a sudden it became true. That what they were saying, doing, it became true. They made that, they made that true. And it happened. And, you know, sure. They, they had the, the quirky, here at the artists we always have but um man it just blew up and it was like they planted those seeds and here comes the harvest <laughs> it's two punk rockers too you know the power of punk whether it's bringing down american democracy or shaping the <laughs> changing the face of portland punk it, it's all over the place yeah i mean john stewart look at him yeah and also bob mold wrote the daily show theme song Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, the original one. I don't think they use it anymore, though. But uh, yeah, there's, there's, it's a deep cultural uh, path. What One thing you kind of brought up last time, though, I don't think we talked about too much, it was uh, you love No Wave stuff. And obviously the No New York comps on the cover of um, Record Collectors. But what was it about sort of the dissonance of that kind of stuff that drew you in more than like you know, some of the more anthemic-y stuff that was happening at the same time? Um, I couldn't understand it. I didn't know it was the unknown and it was scary and I didn't understand it. I mean, I could like the Ramones and that kind of stuff I, I knew. And, and I, you know, I, the sex pistols were even kind of really snotty and, but I, I knew where they were coming from and I thought that was, Oh, that's cool. I can relate to this. But, um, the new, the no wave stuff was just like mind blowing. It was kind of, it wasn't as mind blowing as like say captain Beefheart trout mask replica because that was even too far to me or or sun raw or something like that where i couldn't like i i 
listen to it. I'm like, I don't know what this is. I have no idea. But the New York stuff, the the I seriously, it would scare me. It would scare me where I would think it was like these people are like like serial killers. It sounds like so scary. It was, you know, I look at the picture on the back of the record of those people, and it looked like it looked like you went to a, a mental institute and opened the roster and looked at the pictures of these people, like one flew over the cuckoo's nest. I was like, oh my god, these people are just they're playing music and they're just like, ah, these people are just like. Like whoa, and it, and it would it would physically scare me and put us where I kind of have to like turn the record off, you know. So that kind of stuff is great for a kid to listen to that. That's that's like a where where it invokes a feeling of just like fear. I was like, wow, this is dangerous. This is dangerous. And then once yeah, so I jumped into that one. That was <laughs> of course. You really do kind of get that from talking to people that were around in New York at that time. There's just like this sort of. People were scared. There's some more talks about how freaked out he was by like Lydia Lunch and James Chance and those people. Like they were, they were freaky. Yeah. Yeah. That's, you know, great. Good for them. That's, you know, that's. <laughs> but it's a menace, that menace in music in that sort of, uh, that threat. And like, I think, you know, obviously you're with the fire breathing and the blood and there's sort of this like performance art quality to poison idea but there's like a real menace there too like that's the that's the difference i think between punk and and some other sorts of uh performance art type thing is that there's always sort of this idea that it's it's grounded in reality this threat oh you know it's like monica zaza just passed away recently this artist is the performance artist and i saw him when i was really young like 15 and it was that kind of things too, where it seemed dangerous. I guess it was art. I guess it was a performance. But to me, it looked like somebody going absolutely mad, and you know, with urine and whatever, and throwing before Gigi Allen did it, and uh, not set to music. But it was that kind of stuff. I guess if if you, I mean, whatever, like Karen Finley or whatever, if you go there to bring that and present that as a piece you know some people might think it's whatever uh pretentious stuff but to me it was it was scary and it was dangerous and uh i, I like that kind of stuff i like that and um poison idea thing we were kind of firing on the 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 id you know just the now what what uh, and you know we were kind of we didn't understand what we were doing we didn't really we were just kind of channeling our our fucked upness, all of our like Tom's bad childhood, my bad childhood, all of our bad. And we were just channeling that, you know, there was a, I think, I don't know if I told you last time, but there was a time when we were playing and, and it was just so crazy that the, one of our first shows with, with the crowd just going completely, you know, the 50 people there going completely berserk and us going berserk and the music, so, the music was so loud that you could actually almost see the waves, you know, because I remember I used to have to wear two sets of headphones to practice because I could just see the the music, the waves of the the air moving. It was so loud. And um just as just the the tribalness of the you know stuff going in. And Tom said, he goes, I looked over at you one time and you were and you were like jumping off like a a side fill like jumping into the crowd and he goes i saw you and you like levitated for like two seconds you like moved and you like levitated before you hit he goes he goes I, it scared me and like almost stopped playing like that and it was it's kind of it just like i said this stuff is so it, it's 
I can't explain it. I can't, you know. That, That's how that they built of, the pyramids, right? That's supposedly that's what they say. <laughs> Levitating the stones, yeah. Yeah, they played pick your king and levitated the stones in the place. <laughs> yeah, that's what you know. That's that's a rumor. <laughs> it's a time traveling poison idea loving aliens. Yeah, I was down since I talked to you last. I went down to the pyramids in Mexico and saw those, and uh, I saw I saw some sketching I did a long, long time ago on the wall. What's <laughs> <laughs> in, in the, down there? Yeah, some some sketching in my past life. <laughs> did you did you guys ever tour Mexico? You know, we went down once um, in the like the two thousands and did Mexico City. We played one show in Mexico City, and it was a we had like a bad you know person managing us, and and it was kind of a. This person was also doing some a bigger band, and and the people in Mexico didn't want to have us. And he was like, "Well, if you want GBH, you got to take them for one show, and then you know you take them as a kind of like a charity case, and I'll give you GBH." And we went down there, and it was kind of like a rock place where it cost you know for the average kid it was like you know a hundred dollars or whatever. And but uh, it was a trip. I, I I love Mexico. I love it. I've since you know what since the last couple of years. Since I don't see it through a touring eye, and I and I just get into the culture and, and the history, it's you know because I used to like hate Paris. I used to go to Paris. I'm like, oh, I hate Paris. It's like, and and my wife, she's she's like, well, have you, why do you hate about it? I'm like, I have to chain my luggage to you know my leg, and I have to do this, <laughs> and I have to you know. She's like, well, and so so we went there as like a tourist, and and the history. And I never knew that there was actually a city in the middle of Paris, which was the old city. And they built it around this river. And and to me, it was just like, you know, a place where you go in a, a club, a club in the, in the catacombs. And and to to stop and, you know, smell the roses, as they say, it's it's a whole new it's a whole new trip. So, yeah, I, Mexico now to me, it's like the people down there are just. They're like some of the, you know, this salt of the earth man it's it's great too i love mexico yeah it feels like when you go and tour as a band it's like a real lesson in how to hate a city because you're like you know people ask you like oh what was what was venice like it's like oh the show was terrible and that's like your yeah, takeaway right. of being in venice right and what was venice like feedback yeah, yeah the sound <laughs> was not good we got in late i didn't sleep well and then we were up super early and didn't see anything yeah yeah that's so to see the have you ever have you ever been to the the pyramids in egypt before no no i've i've I'm, like you know like once you're in a band you don't really get to go on vacation too much right yeah. like it's like a, every time's like a tour and i feel bad because like my kids like I'm, I'm trying to do it more with them now but no i've never been to egypt well chris mentioned it i was that made me think of it because i was yeah, like i've never been there either yeah that's it you ever been to the pyramids of Boston before? Yes. <laughs> ever been to the Pyramid Club? Yeah, the I pyramid. think so. Oh, yeah, you guys played there in the 90s, right? The Pyramid Club in Boston? No, in New York. Oh, yeah, yeah. That was a great place. I love yeah. that place. It feels like those 90s shows would have been um, like a like a real kind of like changing of things like obviously like hardcore begins to change a lot stylistically throughout the 90s and and uh you know things get slower things get a little heavier in certain places and stuff like that and it feels 
you know, like as a fan of the time, I was definitely more enamored with the older school hardcore and the stuff that eventually kind of comes back. But what was it like kind of touring in the nineties? And were you seeing that happen firsthand? Um, you know, I just went back recently and started reading like a bunch of old, old slash magazines and the whole feeling of reading that, that, the way you just by reading the, the words of the reviews of the records and their their the way they see it and the the reviews of the shows the letters i mean in the decline when kickboy reads that letter from the people it's just it was a whole different it was a you know i've said this a million times about the hardcore coming in and stuff but uh i think what really turn me on in the beginning was just the you know the search and destroy stuff with the the magazine with the amos poe and and you know uh, burroughs and david lynch and charles bukowski and um the dadaist and situationist and all this stuff being a little kid and being a uh, dropout and not going to school and being schooled by this and being people tell you know about this is art this is fashion, this is music, this is culture, this is this. It was not the norm. It's not what they taught you in school. And that was punk rock to me. That was, you know, and then their music was the soundtrack to that. These people, you know, whoever it was, the pop group or gang of four, you know, they weren't my favorite bands, but they, the soundtrack to all that stuff. And it was, I think when the, I love the the aggro and the aggressive of because that's like i said i was always firing on the id i was always upset and always mad so that's what got me off and that's what we listened to and that's what we lived but to deep down in your soul to think of you know why we're doing this that's what did it is the the creativity and stuff of it it was completely you know it was a whole new i i love the i love the the, the hardcore stuff I did, but it, it got to a point where, you know, you'd see the go to a show and see five bands and they all were the same, this, you know, the same thing again. And if, if you can go to a show and kind of predict what they're going to do next, what this, you know, the break in the music's going to be, you know, when it's predictable like that or, you know, whatever, it's just, it kind of just, there's, there's nothing left. I guess. I don't know. Well, I guess it's like you said earlier, it, well, kind of different than we said earlier, where it's, it's, it's so much more than just the music, you know, like obviously the music is what's driving this thing. That's what's bringing us all there. But it's like a cultural, especially in the beginning, like a completely a cultural shift. You brought up Vivian Westwood with fashion, you know, you look at all the people that got permission to make culture and, and made film out of it from like Nick Zed to, jim jarmusch to like just all these people that kind of got like permission to do stuff out of this sort of thing that changed everything yeah i well i understand that but what like say like the um okay the we got power compilation with like 60 bands on it what was the on that what was their message on all those every band you listen to and what what are they trying to say what is the culture on that it's just like it changed yeah yeah there's really no, there's no really message there. It's just, just the same thing over and over. It's just, you know, and then like I say, I, I, 
I know the the anger. That was great. That was a great outlet to, you know, there was nothing like that. If you could have like put that in a bomb, it would have fucking taken care of the, you know, it would have leveled the world. But because uh, it was so powerful, but uh, it was kind of just all over the place. Well, I brought I talk about this a lot on the show, but I always look at punk as being this sort of like double helix of sort of this highfalutin art school kind of culture and then street rock and roll and 77 you know these two things kind of align and then as it goes on 76 75 maybe even but then as it goes on they get further and further apart as hardcore kind of starts and then you look at how far removed sort of i don't know art music got from everything again and then it kind of like with nirvana and 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 post kind of that world you have a little bit more of a convergence again where it became like william burroughs and Kurt Cobain talking about, you know, loving beat writers and, and zines and that sort of culture arising again. And then it sort of, you know, once again, kind of separates as time goes on. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it, it comes and goes, it goes in waves. It goes up and down. Everything does. It goes like that, you know, it comes up and down and it did like, you know, a, a couple of years ago too, with the, the thing in Olympia too, with like that, uh, that band gloss coming mm-hmm. up when it, when it, when it, when it needed to be said. When it really needed to be said, and then it, it, it ebbs and flows, you know, and it, it's always done that, and that's what it should do. And I think we're looking for that that next thing, you know. We're, we always are. Speaking of Olympia, how mind blowing is it that Kathleen Hanna went on tour with you guys way back when? <laughs> I must have been sleeping through that one. She was with Fitz's Depression on a tour with you guys. You guys did a short tour with Fitz's Depression, and she was roading with them. Okay, yeah. You know what? I remember I I think Fitz of Depression might have stayed at my house once. Um, so Kathleen Hanna might have stayed at my house once. That would have been something. So, <laughs> you know, you know, like I say, I try to I like, you know, talking to like Chris and stuff and, and thinking about records. To be at that time with so many things firing off, it's it's like I say, it's like uh the, the movie Rashomon. There you one you have twenty people see one thing. But everybody has a different, you know, they see a different thing. So I I remember Fitz and Depression. I remember being with them. I remember hanging out and talking to them. I remember seeing them. But I remember playing with them. But I don't remember, like, <laughs> who, the right, who was on tour with them. Well, it's understandable. So, a lot of stuff happened. So, Damien, tell me tell me about this. Tell me I, what what. what I don't know. Toby, Toby Vale was on the podcast and told me this and it blew my mind. It was really like, talk about like a convergence of two cultural forces in the Pacific Northwest. And, uh, yeah, I'm just, I'm, I'm always fascinated by these interactions different people have. Like you're talking about Rashomon, like I think Nirvana's like a, a great one like that because in the Pacific Northwest, there's, you know, obviously people that were like, oh, they're, they're one of the greatest bands ever. But then there's also kids that were you know, like Nate from uh, the Foo Fighters, who was in Diddly Squat uh, back then, was like, "Yeah, you know, they just sounded like Led Zeppelin to me." And <laughs> and I think it's amazing how, like, you know, everyone's got a different take on all these things. Yeah, sure, yeah. And there was so, like I say, there was so much going on. It was there's like every day there was so much stuff going on. And if you caught something, and some people did, some you know, it's what you what you saw. It's like so. I remember, you know, I, I liked those. I liked the the Olympia bands. I liked, um, shoot, the one band that's still playing. It wasn't Sissy Face, Brat, Bratmobile? Bratmobile, back together, yeah. 
I like them. I like them a lot. I remember seeing them at the at the X-Ray Cafe in Portland, and I, I remember like going right up to front to watch them, and I, I really enjoyed them a lot. But then, you know, I do remember seeing Bikini Kill once too, and um, and I liked them, and I remember going walking up to the front of the stage like it's a show, and it was you know a lot of people there, and and people just going you know I remember hearing this like you know. And you fucking guys can just, you know, get the fuck to the back and, you know, get five all this and screaming at me. And I'm just like, what am I doing? I'm here like supporting this music and I'm watching it. And all of a sudden somebody's screaming at me like, you jocks, you big jocks, get the fuck out of here and blah, 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 all this shit. And I'm like, what did I do? Where am I, you know, where am I at? And I'm just like, I'm here supporting this show. And uh, I don't know what I did. And people are like, boom, get out, get out like that. And I'm just like, okay, you know, I don't. So yeah, I, I see that's that's my Rashman. I remember that. I was there. It, it's interesting because I think in certain places they had that kind of reaction where they had the crowd on their side. But then there's other stories you hear about them playing. Like you're talking about Gloss, like talking about a band fighting an uphill battle at that point, like pre-Riot Girl being like the Riot Girl band. There there are some crazy videos and shows that they play where the audience is just going at them. Right. Right. Well, see, that's yeah, that's I I respect I've always when I, I heard about that band, I I loved them right away. And then I I was just I, the reason I brought them up because I was just playing that record the other day. Yeah. And I yeah, so that's you know, it, yeah. It was wild. I went and saw them on the reunion tour and just talked about oh, I didn't even know they did a reunion tour. Yeah, Bikini Kills on tour, I guess they just wrapped it up. Um Oh no, I thought you were talking about gloss. Oh no, gloss, gloss. No, I don't think gloss will ever be doing another reunion tour. I think that's over. You know, there's these bands that kind of happen at this moment. It also feels like this moment in particular, like hardcore music, uh, whatever your definition of it, you know, it's probably more popular or certainly more mainstream awareness of it than it's had gotten a long time, maybe since the initial wave. Well, right now, yeah, like turnstile and, and, um, uh, uh, God, I'm blanking on every band's name right now. But there's like there's just shows with like thousands and thousands of kids going to see these bands now, and it's you know like it might not sound necessarily like the Germs, but in some cases it does, and it but it certainly is sort of a direct descendant of. Yeah, I mean that's that's great that they they have to do something, and um I. You know, my personal, I, I like the, I like all the, the razor blade and aspirin bands that they, that they, you know, I, I get that magazine and I look at it and I'm like, oh, this, what is, and I Google them and find out what they sound like. And there's a lot of stuff I get turned on to, but um, some of it, some of it, like you mentioned some stuff, I'm not going to like repeat the name, but um, some of it, I'm just like, wow, it's like kind of like, a, I don't know, what could I I don't know. It's like you know what? If you can't say anything good, don't say anything. So I'm. It's it's like it's like what it is. It's kind of like a I don't know. Kind of like a Grand Theft Auto of music. You know, it's like it's it's like I, yeah. I'm not. I'm not. It's what it, it's like. You gotta do something. It's kind of like Tony Hawk's fucking rock and roll. You know, it's like that, good, good. But that's it's it's, it's interesting you bring that up because that's probably the musical discovery point for a lot of kids these days, right? Would be. You know, I heard the adolescents on the Tony Hawk's. I know this because kids come on the podcast, people, adults now come on the podcast all the time and talk about hearing punk for the first time on the Tony Hawk 
game. Like that was the introduction to this sort of stuff. So the relationship to it's going to be so different than, well, like yourself, like someone who's having to like scrape every little bit of information and, and find scraps and put the pieces together. It's going to be a, a totally different way of, of experiencing it. Well, they'll, you know what, if they really, really, if it really touches them, they'll, they'll look into it and dig deeper and find out where it came from. And, um, you know, like, like people who like kids who really were into Led Zeppelin and stuff and finding out where that, you know, it's like, uh, you know, where, where they stole all their music from. <laughs> <laughs> like every, every song <laughs> uh cooch i don't mean to be dominating this conversation anytime you want to jump in on it if you have any questions i don't i, I just feel like i'm power talking yeah uh, you can keep going okay <laughs> as needed um, and the camel switches over to chris and he's sleeping <laughs> <laughs> no he's lying in wait like a snake he's got he's gonna come in with these questions when i'm least expecting and get ready to trump me on all of this stuff He's also, you can, you can fact check me at any point, Cooch, if I come up with something that's not true. All um, right. When you moved to San Francisco, Jerry, did was uh, like the foul record stuff still looming? Like were the fuck ups and verbal, uh, well, obviously verbal um, uh, abuse goes on very for a long time. But like, was that sort of, because like you hear a lot about that, the menace of that scene. The menace of, the menace <laughs> of like the, the band, the menace? No, no, the menace of fuck the fuck ups, like how they were like the bad dudes of of San Francisco. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you know what? It's like when I turned eighteen, um, I was in Portland, and I heard that because Oregon was one thing, one one government, and California was like if you moved if you lived in California, you can get like welfare really easy. Once you're eighteen, just say you're unemployed, and they'll give you uh, money. To, to be a bum, to not be, have a job. So I went down to San Francisco because all my friends were down there and I got on welfare right away and um, got a hotel. They, they give you like vouchers, but they, they make you get up one day a week and go s- sweep streets at like six in the morning. And, you know, that's fine with me. Just stay up all night, go to shows. And San Francisco had shows all the time, like every, every night. And, and so I went down there and that's what was you know, I caught the end of the first wave, you know, I remember going to a party and being there and seeing like Sally mutant at a party and like, just like going, Whoa, I go that I used to have that picture of that girl, my sets for the mutants. And I was a fan. Cause I had that single, that, uh, new drug or whatever it was. The, yeah. It's not insect. Like, was it the, the single, I had the single. And so I, I was just like, you know, I was like a fan. I, I love the mutants. I loved, you know, the San Francisco stuff because it was so different. Everything like like the nuns, crime. Um, some of it was like crime wasn't my favorite band. They were kind of sloppy, but the mutants were great. I love the mutants. And uh so I got there with the punk stuff, the punk, the I mean, because the fuck ups were from Society Dog. Were they before that? Yeah. Yeah. So it was the okay, you're right. Society and they had the the Sid Vicious guy, Sid Terror. So right away, you know, you're, you're, come on, right away. <laughs> it's like some guy dressed up like Sid Vicious, you know, and, and every town in, in America had one. Every, every punk scene in America had a Sid, right? The worst like, punk. I mean, I know there was, 
I know there was one in <laughs> Seattle. I know there was one in Portland. I know there was one. In, uh, every town had a yeah, every punk scene had a Sid Sid guy. All right, a Sid guy. We still and have so, one in Boston. <laughs> <laughs> I think there's one in still in like, every town, unfortunately. Yeah. So I mean, it must have been. I I don't know. What would you rather have? Like, I guess I'd rather probably rather have like a, a Johnny Cash in every town, you know, or a, <laughs> you know, but but. Uh, there's it, not too many show- punks. I, I maybe I'd prefer. No, I, I think I'd still prefer a Gigi Allen in every town to a Sid Vicious in every town. <laughs> wow, that'd be something. <laughs> and then, then the, the Dead Candies like, "Hope you get drafted." That song by the DKs. But um, so so I went down there and and I got on welfare <laughs> and I got my hotel room and I and I, you know, I was like a kid. I was like 18, and so I got thrown into that that scene and and I kind of like you know swim swimmer sank and and it was like. I didn't want these guys to like fucking kill me. So I was just like, you know, Hey bro. And, and but they were nice guys. I, I knew all those guys. I hung out with all the, those bands at the vats and then, and I caught the end of the deaf club. That was still not the deaf club, the tool and die, excuse me. The tool and die was still going on. And I saw a few shows there. So all the, you know, code of honor stuff was still going on. And, uh, Jersey sick pleasure. No, never saw it. Okay. But I knew Nikki was, I think, already in verbal abuse by then. Mm-hmm. Maybe. What, uh, was Negative Trend still going, or were they would they have already kind of become Flipper? Flipper by that point, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Because I remember seeing Flipper graffiti in Portland because Bruce had some ties to Portland in the like eighty, and he would come up to Portland and graffiti Flipper shit all over Portland. <laughs> back in the day and i remember being a little kid seeing like he's like flipper will never play portland fuck you stuff like that on the wall i was like who's this who what is this and then i heard about flipper i was like oh okay well that makes sense so but um yeah the the san francisco stuff was pretty um you know there's that once uh sick pleasure video where that cat's cutting his chest and and uh they're dancing around you know whatever and you can tell like half of them are on speed and stuff and that to me that the hardcore scene of San Francisco, that's kind of pretty much was that in a nutshell right there. That was pretty much, I mean, I don't want to badmouth that because uh, I love a lot of those people and a lot of them got out of it and um, are still alive, but uh, it was pretty, it was pretty, yeah, tough. It was, it wasn't, it wasn't like LA where it's all spread out. You could, you know, it was, it was a little teeny city a metropolis with a lot of you know i was there and i got like saw you know people get fucked up and guns pulled on me and you know just crazy shit so it was like like boston or new york you know if you lived in down there so yeah it was san francisco was crazy uh, seems like there was like a hard drug kind of vibe to that scene early on compared to other punk <laughs> scenes yeah you know, there was there was there was a i mean they love johnny thunders down there you know mm-hmm. That that stuff with the, with the guys walking around with like the like the doors with the syringes stuck in them and shit like that, you know, that, that's like kind of a fashionable junkie type these thing. But San Francisco was um, unlike like Seattle, which was really into dope. San Francisco was really into speed. There's a lot of speed guys down there like to do speed, and I don't know if it was just the economy or the availability or what, but uh, well, sick pleasure you know. speed rules okay. Yeah. there you go there you go yeah 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 that was i couldn't play that fast yeah. <laughs> I, 
when I heard about you going to Portland for that time, you know, I'm interested in it in the same way, like, you know, they, the, the DC guys, they always talk about that trip that they did as the teen idols to LA and seeing punk in LA and then bringing that back to DC. And that, that really does change the East coast. Like their response to what they saw in LA and kind of getting tougher and going to these shows in New York and, and Boston, like you really do see how that spreads. Did you bring anything back from San Francisco to Portland? Like, did you see anything in that punk culture that you're like, okay, we need something like this here. Or is it more like shit? Let's try. hopefully it doesn't get this bad. I brought up a pound of speed back and I turned everybody <laughs> on the speed. No, um, I think, I think uh, Portland was already, um, you know, the people can think for themselves. We, we had a bunch of like, you know, everybody was into rock and roll here in Portland. And um, th- that always, yeah, I, I know that thing, that story about the those guys going to D.C. and doing that. And, it, and I always wondered about that because I knew that didn't Harley go to um, like Europe with the stimulators and he came back like with his head shaved and stuff. So, I mean, he, that wasn't really too. You're talking about the slam dancing and stuff, right? Yeah, the slam dancing and even like the, the organization of people in the pits. I guess it would have been like the sort of early hardcore gang stuff, but like just sort of like the way these guys came in on mass and stuff like that. And then you hear about the DC guys showing up in New York and, and Boston and sort of like, and Detroit too. And just sort of like, you know, bringing this sort of like, well, hardcore, like what, what West coast hardcore was. Uh, you know what we, the thing in Portland was uh, a lot of the kids looked towards Los Angeles and emulated the skating thing, even though it was like really wet and, you know, it was wet here in Portland, but they, they like skating all the all the kids were into the the dope and stuff. They didn't. I mean, for some reason, Seattle was always kind of a, a, a drug town. Like I said, they loved Johnny Thunders there, and there was a little bit in Portland that like that kind of stuff. But um, Portland was a pretty healthy, a healthy young. Like they like to skate and they like to you know be physical, and uh, you know they drank and stuff like the LA guys. But they there was, yeah, I didn't. You know we. Me and a couple of my friends, we, um, after the San Francisco thing, we had like a, we kind of did kind of almost like a quasi suicidal type thing where we had like insignias on the back of our coats. But I mean, these guys couldn't fight their way out of a paper bag. They were just like, <laughs> just like really, just really fake guys. And it was just, you know, we weren't, we weren't, they weren't strong guys, but we did it as kind of like a joke, you know, we would hang out in packs because we were like too they were too nerdy to have girlfriends and you know that's what guys do is like you know but no it was it was fun it was i, I didn't bring any you know <laughs> i was joking i was joking when i say the speed it's funny though you bring up that harley thing i you know i totally forgot about that but yeah that's totally he gets his head shaved by the guys from the outcast i think according to the legend yeah. and then comes back and shaves everyone's head and that's sort of like the the introduction of american skinhead that's sort of like that sort of a cultural learning that happens when someone goes away and sees something on tour i guess this continues in punk yeah because i remember i remember the like the the skinhead guys coming up from la to portland in like you know 80 early 80s too like bald guys bald punk guys i was like whoa what's this like it was kind of crazy so and then they had that the skinhead thing they they called themselves skinheads they weren't punks they were skinheads and that was a new one, you know. Well, it starts factually off, right? Like hardcore kids, skinheads, post-punk. Like it all just, you know, at one point it was all just, I guess, punk. Right. And now now it's just forget about it. 
<laughs> well, not if not if this podcast anything has anything to say about it. We're putting You're it all right. back under the umbrella. That's, that's my entire life's purpose. That's fine. That's the way I. Yeah, that's the way I live. I always have. You know. Um, I I I read an interview recently where you talked about how I think it was a No Echo. And you talked about the original inception for the book, or maybe it was in Razor Blades and Aspirins, but you talked about how the original inception for the book was came out of conversations with Adam Parfrey, right? Mm-hmm. Is that, and, and rest in peace now, he's passed away, but like that seems to be almost like um, another offshoot of punk, that sort of feral house. Uh, and I guess that's sort of like a holdover from that sort of search and destroy, or like that's not a holdover, but that's sort of like where it kind of goes, the search and destroy style of, uh, literary sort of punk rock or literary cultural stuff oh yeah i mean adam's stuff that he all that stuff he did in feral house the old you know all the apocalypse culture and stuff is is dangerous as you know is any of that anything today it's and he you know we we hung out he was a good friend of mine and we hung out and he would you know tell me stories about going to the mask when he was a you know young and and he would you know just tell me these stories about LA all the time and say that like the, the germs girls, he would say the he, he had a different name for them. I'm not going to say anything here, but he, he'd say the, the germs women that would follow Darby around, <laughs> they would, they would like kind of like pick guys out. And I can imagine Adam when he was like 19, 20 years old, I can imagine, you know, and uh, like him, him. And they would like, he said, he said they were like, what did, what did he say? There was like something really funny, like uh, like ferrets, like attacking him. They were like they were like one was on his leg and one was like smacking him on the side. And one and they like beat him. They were like these girls would like attack him and like beat him in like these like shows. And he says he was like, yeah, I go to these shows and the, and the germs girls would like attack me and like you know, like try to like beat me up and like there's they'd be on me and like these little short little <laughs> little fat girls would be like kicking me and stuff and so. So he was, he was a, he was a riot. I loved Adam. And, um, you know, so we hung out a lot and, uh, and when, when he moved here, he was getting into his drugs. So we did a lot of drugs together and, and we would drive around and party and stuff. And I would, you know, drive by a corner and go, Oh, that's where so-and-so got shot. And, you know, this is where this happened. That house burned down there. I remember this. And, and he would, you know, I'd tell him stories and he was like, you, you need to write these things down, you know, and I, I'll put them out in a book. And I was like, really? So, so he bought me a laptop and said, go for it and, you know, start writing stuff. And that was, yeah, he, he's the one that kind of, you know, told me to do it, write my stories down. And then it kind of changed. It's like everything does. Everything morphs and changes, takes on, you know, a whole new thing. So, but he was definitely the, I would have just kept going and, <laughs> and like the, 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 the tribal people are like passing stories on through, through song <laughs> over the years, you know? I think that um, the what we do a secret book that they put out. You know, it's interesting hearing that side of like his take on the germs thing because that was the first place that I was kind of exposed to the idea that for people that lived in LA, germs have a bit of a conflicted legacy. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, the the it was you know it, it's it's I I think I think of it as a whole different. Yeah, it's it was it was a. <laughs> a church almost a, a weird, just a, so dangerous. So, so crazy and, and everything. And, and I say that in the, in the book I wrote too, it's, it's like these people came up from, I remember, I remember hearing about that. And then the, the feeling of these people are like, yeah, we, 
these people were on the run. They murdered somebody in Los Angeles or in San Francisco, and they're like the germs people. And and I just remember like going. I be I was a kid. I'm just like, wow, these these are like these. This is insane. These people are like criminals, but they're a part of this band. They're or they're in the the crew of this band, and it's just like this. Yeah, and the singers this, and they do this, and it's all this with the. You know, the you could just feel the, you know, it's kind of like with the Turbo Negro people try to play their music and, and like pose on stage as like, this is who we are, but they lived this stuff. It's real. It wasn't like, you know, makeup. It was like, this is the, the darkness. You know? Yeah, well, that's when you read that book, that's what really comes off is that there's a darkness in that Germs book. Like, we are like, this is like, so that might be one of the most bleak uh, like oral history books. Yeah, and and to have the spillover and to meet these people and kind of just like it's like, you know, it, again, it's kind of like the the no wave stuff, mm. just like I, you can't understand it and you just feel the the vibrations coming from you. Like, yee, it's just you know, scary shit. So of course the kids are drawn to that kind of stuff. That's what you know. Well, yeah, look at Gizem, right? Like Gizem is kind of the same sort of vibe, I think, for a lot of people here. Like looking at that, yeah. it's. Yeah, of course. Danger, you know? Yeah. You can't say the name. I remember in Japan trying to ask people about Gizem, and it's like, no, you don't say the name. And I'm like, oh, oh shit. Really? Yeah, it was like, I don't know, it was like, it kind of explained to me, it kind of sounded like Candyman or or Bloody <laughs> Mary, right? Like, if you say the name too much, it might, like, ev evoke him to come wow. to the show, and, and you'd have to, you know... I, I Obviously, I'm a huge fan, so all of this stuff, just, like, much like the germs thing, much like... Like all this stuff just feeds into the legend. Yeah. Jerry, how did you find out about Gizm? Was it the Peace Comp? No, Pusshead, you said, right? Yeah, Pusshead. He, you know, him and Tom were good friends, and Puss lived in Boise then. And honestly, when the, the record that uh, what what came first, the Peace Comp or the 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 record? I think the record came first, didn't it? I'm not sure. I think the LP comes out eighty. Two and then the peace comps eight, what 83 84? Yeah, because the record I remember the record coming to Portland, there was a couple copies of it floating around at different houses. And I honest to God, I didn't care for it when it came out. I thought it was too too metally. I thought it was too because right then, think about the timeline, what was happening at that time. It was like the you know, the the punks, the agnostic front, the the East Coast, the hard, the that kind of stuff, you know, SSD, and, and I was just like, I would go into a house, they'd be playing that, and I was like, ah, this Jewish priest type shit again. I was like, what is it? With the because the guitar to me sounded like kind of with the 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 tone on the guitar, it sounded almost like a fast thin Lizzy Judas Priest dual lead guitar thing, and I was just like, and it took me a while to you know, I I, I saw the graphics. And stuff and i'm like okay but then it, i it kind of hit me all of a sudden i was like oh, okay now i understand it. it took me a while to sit down not a while but maybe a couple months but right away i, I dismissed it when i first heard it, i totally dismissed it i was like eh. what do you think of like slayer and metallica when that stuff started coming out well it was kind of at that time it wasn't cool to like that stuff you know it was like it, it, it was all heavy metal and stuff. And we, you know, we were like, but then 
it, you know, they, like I say, if you if you honestly sit down and listen to it, give it an honest listen, you, it's good stuff. And you're like, yeah, this is good good stuff, you know. So, but I can see the divide you're talking about. Like I can see why it wouldn't ring in the same way that like I don't know the germs would ring. You know, like I can see why because it is more fantastical based. It seems. Yeah, and um, it just seems. I don't know. You 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 kind of think about you you see things and you're like, where did this come from? It's like, well, they're, you know, it, it's like <laughs> these people are professionals, <laughs> and you don't like things that are good. You want you want to, you know, it's like, yeah, it's almost too good, you know, it's yeah. almost too. Good. But but Metallica was, I, I, yeah. After this stuff grows on you, and um, I probably I probably like Slayer now more now than i did when i heard him the first time you know yeah i can see that i can see like you know after a certain amount of time you know you're able to kind of like distance yourself from some of these things and they like they lose the what you found so offensive about them or or maybe maybe they gain offensiveness in some cases but yeah and you know what and it's not just it's not just it's the people who like them too they, so they always ruin stuff for people too it's like you know it's like that's why i don't like a lot of stuff today that might be good just because the other people who like it i don't like them you know it's, it's like people people ruin everything yeah well i think that's also probably yeah. part of the appeal of international hardcore is you don't have to experience what the band's shows would be like you can have this perfect image of what these shows would be like yeah <laughs> oh yeah i do it every day yeah exactly <laughs> <laughs> um I think like in the early parts of the early, in the early two thousands, you know, it seems like, you know, it's almost like a different band or like a different Jerry fronting poison idea as it would have been sort of the back half of the first part of the two thousands. Is that fair to say for you? Like, I mean, well, specifically like, there's like that show in Austin, you guys play, there's a couple like shows where I don't know, like, I don't, and I'm, maybe I'm just projecting on this thing, but it seems like you weren't as happy to be up on stage as times I would see you later on in the two thousands where it seems like you found that joy again on there. Oh man, honestly, you know, Damien, I, I wrote that in my book. I said that, that, um, there was a time where we were just kind of going through the motions and, uh, I seriously, it was, it was, wasn't even atonement. It was, I just hated it. I hated it. And I felt like, um, we were stealing from people. I felt like I was ripping people off. I felt like I was letting people down. I didn't. I, I didn't want to be alive. I didn't like being up there. Uh, the whole thing was uh, it had like Sisyphus, man, rolling a rock up a hill. And it was. Uh, I guess it's you know what what my fate what was what laid on me. But it was it was miserable. It was totally miserable. And that's why in the last five years I've been so goddamn happy is because this shit was lifted off me and it's. Um, yeah, it was bad. It was a bad, bad trip. You know, I was got so deep into drugs and, um, you know, doing the tour of the world and copping drugs in every city or in some of these bad, like, you know, some places are bad, like, you know, Oslo or Berlin or but some places like Tokyo and stuff where you could like be thrown in prison and shit and trying to do stuff like that there was just, you know, it was. And I knew, and I knew for this is like everything I did, you can do anything you want 
in life, but just stand up for what you do, except for what you get, the consequences. You know, if you want to go out and, and do whatever, you can. But the consequence, you have to accept that. You have to accept that. And I was there. I was going like, I know what I'm doing, and I'm ready to face the consequences. And uh, it was bad. And I just knew because I was hoping, you know, kind of like I always thought in the back of my mind, I always thought that Flesh Eater song, the one song where he has the line, um, expecting to end, but Mark to live. Because he's just like, just like, it's, you know, you can't. I thought I thought if I was to jump off a building, I'd break my spine. I'd be laying there paralyzed for the rest of my life. You know, it's like this, this ain't going to happen. It's like not going to happen. And um, yeah, the the show in the show in Texas was just uh, you know, we played with the Saints, and I was just like one of my favorite bands, and I was like so miserable because I had to um get up the next morning early and take a cab across town at some place I didn't know where it was in Austin and go to a methadone clinic really early in Austin, which I wasn't, you know, so it's like all this new, these new things. So, uh, yeah, I was, but I was just, you know, like I said, I was just stumbling through, through one fucking nightmare to the next. So was it getting away from the drugs? Like what was the turning point for you when you kind of realized like this is, you know, like, cause I, we played with you, and it was just after you had to have your toe amputated on that European tour. You told me like you had like, or nearly lost a toe or something, right? Like something like three, like three, yeah, bones and a couple toes. Yeah. Yeah. It was like just after that tour, we played with you in Portland and I remember talking to you and you were unbelievable that night on stage. You were so good. Like, just like, it was amazing. So it feels like there must've been, was it just ups and downs or is it like as you kind of get further away? Cause by that point you, you introduced me to the term Hollywood sober that night. Cause we smoked pot afterwards and you're like, no, I'm Hollywood sober. Honestly, you know what? It's weird that you were, that's because that's when I kind of, I remember being in Prague and going to the hospital with gangrene in my leg and um, thinking I, I need to do something because I, this can't go on because, because they made me sign a waiver that said, you know, they're going to take my leg off. Holy and shit. I was like, I was like, okay, well, fine, you know. And then they made me sign a waiver, like, if you happen to die on the operating table, we're not responsible not for our it. Fault. And, I like, yeah. <laughs> and I was like, okay, well, then I I need to change something now. This is this ain't gonna work anymore. And that was kind of the turning point right there. It really was. And I was like, I need to get my shit together because I either, like I said, it's like I tried and tried to, you know, extinguish this light, but it just wasn't somebody else had other plans something had other plans it wasn't going to be me i couldn't do it myself so there's a reason why you know i i they kept me around and so that was that was that was weird because that was it that was it getting my <laughs> get my my little piggies cut off <laughs> well and not to be dr phil about it or anything and if this is too much don't reckon this part out but like do you think it's survivor's guilt at that point or like what made you want to just kind of like do it is it addiction like you're, you're you know like you're saying when you go and find drugs in some of these places it's like it's like russian roulette yeah but that's you know what that's that stuff and, and fixing it up and cooking it up and going through all that shit that's part of the, the thrill too you know mm -hmm. that was part of the whole thing too the lifestyle and shit and you know the running and gunning and you know people you know now this world, I'm glad, God, I'm so glad because now it's just so out of, you know, it's like people think it's a video game. 
it's like it's like like i say it's like grand theft auto it's just like so crazy and and the drugs are so insane and you know and, and it's it's weird because what i what i'm doing it's like in the last four years i you know we we played the last show uh I gave I told the guys I go I want to play one year and just kick ass like we used to I want to go out there and play one year of shows and just basically apologize and for playing shitty shows for 10 years for like drug money so we went back and we you know I was sober got sober except you know, I drank there's my cocktail at <laughs> so we drank and um so but we went back and we smoked. We didn't play one bad show. We we did Japan. We did Europe. We did, you know, America, and then we stopped. And then two months later, COVID kicked in. And then right then I started a payee business to like take care of, manage people's money who are homeless, who couldn't um, like, like street people and homeless people who were on like social security, who could manage their money. And I was working with this, the government, and like taking care of pay, meeting people on the street and, you know, giving them their checks. And with COVID, it shut down everything. So I couldn't meet anybody in person. And the bureaucracy made it so insane. I was doing it for like a year, but I was getting to know these street people and these homeless people and drug addicts. And I was sober. And it was really heartbreaking because these people were just so hopeless. And they were so, and I was like trying to, help these people and and at the same time bureaucracy was sticking it to me and they're you know making it impossible for me so i was like well you know what i'm going to stop this and i'm going to try to be like a pay like a uh, peer support counselor where i'm on the street talking to people if they need resources if they need to get sober if they need to get their shit together i want to have the services for them i want them to get help i want to help these people because, you know, they're they're good people. They're good people. They're all just, you know. And like in Portland right now, the whole city is insane with fentanyl. And it's going crazy. But, um, you know, everybody thinks it's all these criminals ripping off Home Depot or whatever. And, you know, there's, I, you know, I, I talk to cops. I'm, I'm talking to cops. They're like friends. You know, I did a, a record with a cop. And uh, he's, he, he's like, there's like, actually, there's like 40 bad people from, the, you know, 40, they keep getting arrested over and over and the DAs just let them go because that's the way it is on the West Coast. But um, these other people need help. These other people need help. They want to get off the street and stuff. So that's what I'm doing. Last week I went to, I was down, downtown in mission cooking for people, you know? So it's like, um, it's it's crazy. We're, you know, <laughs> it's not over. It's not over. Things keep happening, man. It's just, just blows my mind it really does what what happens in life well and you're, you're seeing it firsthand so you probably know better than i'm going to say i'm just talking about it but like just from touring and and being around certainly in vancouver and in the western part of canada recently it, it's it's like these super opioids are it's like a different thing and obviously i never grappled with heroin addiction so I don't, i'm talking to my ass when i say this but it just seems like th the way this is kind of interacted with the drug using population is, is is something completely new. Well, you know, when, when Reagan was in and they cut all the the mental health, you know, support with, with all the closed down all the 
it's it it also the, these drugs they have today it with the psychosis with the speed and the and the fentanyl it's like there's got to you know you ask yourself why is this why would they allow this to decriminalize poison and a poison that's so addictive you know it's like they're putting this fentanyl in speed in cocaine because you know you do cocaine one time two times and now you're addicted to cocaine because it has fentanyl in it because you want that you know you can't go with it's not like you can sleep it off and just but now you want that you you need it because you will get physically sick and it's 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 not you man that's there's something so wrong with this stuff i mean i used to be a, a, a thug and a piece of shit back in the day but this is like nothing like i've ever experienced this is like so bad it's like something out of like some kind of you know science fiction like horror story it's like why are they doing this what is this about it's just like crazy and and you know what if i can just you know change and i and i have already just changed a couple of people that are just like so sad and so fucked up and i work with them and help them and that's you know like i say it's like atonement and it makes me feel good and i help them and i don't you know i don't ask for nothing i just like just like just make them just save a life you know and, the, and it's just <laughs> that's all i'm trying to do you know somebody say mine somewhere i don't know who did it but somebody say mine so let's pay it forward you know mm. yeah it, it certainly seems like a, out of any band you know like poison idea was a band that definitely and you and you've talked about this like drugs were something that kind of like seems like it was part of the band from the very beginning well yeah because that helps us cope i mean that's what we grew up with and you know I, when, when Tom passed away, I went into his house and, and took all of his notebooks and his guitar and his stuff so I could keep. And I went through his notebooks and he was writing some heavy stuff. He's a very, very sad person. And he came from a bad childhood. And so, you know, so that's, that's what we did to ourselves, medicated ourselves so we could, you know, get up in the mornings, you know. So. Mm -hmm. Who were some of the most extreme performers like to? pivot to something a little more well, a lot less heavy um who are some of the most uh, your favorite extreme performers that you've seen like in terms of front people like you know like did you like was Gigi allen something that you were like this is ridiculous or is that something you thought was had valid you know i never saw Gigi in person he, he they came to portland and i was i was too busy getting loaded myself and tom and, and mondo went down there and brought him a bunch of a bunch of speed or coke or something and drugs and they stayed up and party with him all night there's a I famous like, photo of that i think actually oh yeah yeah <laughs> i could smell that photo you know <laughs> <laughs> but i was like i'm not yeah i'm i was doing my own thing you know yeah. so um i don't know you know it's there's there's you you can tell and and it's funny because like today kids can tell too they can tell when the shit's fake they, they know what it's you know i remember seeing this band in san francisco when i lived down there and they uh some english band and and they came they came down in their nice track suits and they went backstage and put on all their chains and their cod pieces on and went out there and you know we all you know and it's like wow these guys are like they look like bikers you know on stage but they're you know also these scruffy you know biker looking guys on stage but they're just like you know so I don't know. Um, most intense people I've ever seen. I don't know. HR was crazy in the day when he mm -hmm. was.
going nuts. And nobody can hold a match to him. Um, I don't know. Chai, Chai Pig was insane. Going, he was all over the place. Um, yeah. Trying to think, of, my head's going like a like a map. It's going down. <laughs> so in places I'm like trying to pick up people. You know what? Like some people, like Gary Floyd, just his man. He when he when he sang. It was like it was like a, a gun hitting you. It was just like this is force. You could feel the force. Um, there was different people all over. There was different. Did Butthole Surfers go over big in Portland? Like, were they a band for you guys they, at all? Or their first their first tour up through here, and, and yeah, and they just went. The first time they came here, there wasn't one person that wasn't you know didn't testify. They they blew the roof off the place and. I remember the party afterwards and um yeah they were i remember seeing the show it was like the early early 80s 13th precinct and it was a good show and they were yeah they did it so they're like one of those bands like yourselves that people like just to this day talk about like oh yeah you should they when they came through it was unreal like the time you, you guys played the Sibony here in toronto people still talk about <laughs> i remember that show i remember that show that was a the, the, with the uh, five and a half reasons for actor abortions, the, the, the bunch of fucking goofs guys. The BFGs, yeah, they were probably there. But I think you played with Flight Camp? Yes. And Ashes to Ashes. And Flight Camp, the, one of the guys from Flight Camp winds up producing Billy Talon and all those bands. So. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. But we played with, with Steve, Steve Goof's band, the Retroactive Abortion Band, whatever it was called. He had another band called like something five and a half reasons for retroactive. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Now I think I know the, te- the demo tape. Yeah. And then we went back to his, the Fort goof. And I remember they were all, uh, I remember I was trying to get cocaine and they, they were just like, <laughs> they were like, you're acting like a rock star. And I was like, no, I like it. It's good. And they were like, <laughs> like, we don't do cocaine here. And, um, and that's like lighting up a like, joint in the minor threat house. <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's right i should have gave them a call <laughs> and um and i remember like i said i remember getting stabbed in the leg with a piece of glass there was a really long piece of glass and uh i because i was pushing the crowd back and i either either fell on a bottle or because the weird thing is it was one it was one blade like oh probably so long about this long and it wasn't like it was it wasn't like a bottle, a bottom of a bottle. But I remember pushing people back from the crowd, and I was kind of like laying on the crowd, and I just felt this thing in my leg, and I pulled back like that, and I looked, and there was this little teeny edge sticking out of my leg, and I went and I grabbed it and I pulled it out. Oh. And as I pulled it out, it went all the way in, and then I just looked at it, and all of a sudden this like dark blood just started just pouring off of it, just like pulling like a waterfall. And I was like, Oh shit. Like that. And then we kind of passed, we duct taped it. <laughs> and I went, and I went to the goof's house and the dog was going crazy on me. It smelled that blood because my bottom leg was soaked with blood and it was going nuts trying to like eat my sweats or whatever I was wearing. And uh, they're like, Oh, it's, it likes you. And, and, and it was licking my leg and it got, and then, and so we, we, like I say, we, we taped it up and didn't do anything about it. And then a couple of days later, it just got so infected and so huge. Um, 
it exploded on the road and exploded with like this infection. And it was so fucking, I still got a scar where, where if I move my foot one way, it, an indentation goes in about an inch. And if I go the other way, it pops out. And like, it was like, it's like party tricks. It's like, watch this. Boom, boom, boom. It's like, this. <laughs> <laughs> I can't imagine. Toronto. I can't imagine a less sanitary thing than a Fort goof dog licking your open wound. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, they were saying too. They were going, "Oh, you, the dog's mouth is the most cleanest thing in the world. Hey, let him clean it for you. Let him clean it. They're very clean mouth." So I was like, "Okay, all right, sure." I was like, "I'm drunk." I'm like, "Oh, that sounds that sure sounds believable." Yeah. I've watched dog. Like you watch dogs, they'll eat. They'll eat garbage. They'll eat poo. They'll eat vomit. Like yeah, but once, but once it hits our mouth, it magically just turns to right. hydrogen peroxide. I forgot about the cleaning properties <laughs> of a dog's mouth. That is awesome. Uh, Chris, you want to ask anything? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> Can we segue into some record stuff or something? Yeah, let's let's talk record stuff. I want to talk that Count Vertigo story you're telling us off air too, Jerry. Yeah. Um, is there any way I could uh, run next door for just a second? When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Yeah, I like that. That's sort of sick. Have you been to that store, Jerry? Joint custody in DC. Oh, it's a cool store. The vibe there is really neat. Cooch's store is amazing. Next time you're in Boston, oh, let's talk some record stuff because, uh, as I said, Cooch's Cooch's got some cool stuff on for show and tell too. But uh, Jerry, you're talking about a Count Vertigo uh, find score. Uh, yeah, it's like um, when was this in? Well, I don't know when that, I forgot when that Count Vertigo single came out, but I remember um, there was this place on Sandy Boulevard in Portland, a record store. I've talked to people since, and they remember the name of it. That's a little independent record store that had a bunch of stuff in, and right next to a liquor store. So me and, I wasn't 21 yet, so it had to have been before 1983, probably 1982. And, um, 83 82 and we went over there and we would shoulder tap and get have people buy us alcohol and you guys call we it shoulder were, tapping too no one else calls it shoulder tapping that's what we call it in toronto never heard yeah of that. <laughs> <laughs> well you go hey you buy me so um and we we got like our, our booze and we went in the alleyway and we're sitting there drinking and uh this record store folded shut down so they took a shopping cart of vinyl and just rolled it out. I guess they were throwing it in the dumpster, all their, their vinyl. So we're over there looking through the stuff and I got a box, a sealed box and I ripped them open and they were four big hole 45s, about 50, I think 50 per box. Cause I know they were a hundred and they were the count vertigo 45s without, without the sleeve, without the sleeve. Yeah. So, because we were we were drinking in this alleyway and there was a, a street and then there was the freeway over this and we would drink and we'd sit there and we'd like throw these records 
and they would, you know, and they would bomb. And I don't think we ever hit a car, but they would like, you know, hit the freeway as cars were driving by on the freeway and we we're chucking them. And um, we had these count vertigo 45s and we're throwing them at the, at the freeway, bombing, bombing cars. And they were going by as we're drinking off our, off our hundred vodka, bombing cars. So, uh, Damn, yeah, and then, literally throwing money away. And then a couple of years later, I lived in an apartment building downtown Portland, and Count Vertigo lived downstairs. Oh, wow. What's he like? Well, he um, was like, rest in peace. I think. Like, he, um, we hear him, we lived on the fourth floor in a five story building, and we hear uh, people up on the roof some nights like howling, like howling at the moon, like really late, like three in the morning. And we didn't know what it was, and we talked to people, and they go, "It's that guy down in that room downstairs." That girl. and he would he would literally be howling like 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 you know. And so one night I went down there and uh, was like creeping around listening, and it was kind of like psycho. I heard it's like, you know, mothers like, "Don't you talk to me like that, And it was like, "Oh my god!" And he was talking in both voices. He was talking to both voices behind this door and then it scared me it actually scared me i was like and i was like a you know scrapper back then i was like jesus so i so i left and i was scared count vertigo and then about a month later because he was he was just kind of going spinning out of control by that time and uh the sheriffs came and gave him an eviction notice and he sealed himself in he's not he sealed himself with boards and sealed himself in and would not let the cops in there and sealed himself in this room in this little apartment building downtown Portland and uh, be screaming in his mother's voice. Wow. <laughs> Howling at the moon, screaming in his mother's voice while the cops were like trying to serve him papers. And he was like, you know, so it was, it was that, quite the <laughs> That record just got even more interesting to me. That is. Yeah. Wow, that is, yeah, like it's, uh, well, I guess that's the thing is like all different sorts of people were drawn to this thing, you know, people that needed punk and people that, you know, you know, maybe not necessarily balanced in their terms of their uh, mental health. And, and of course, you know, there's, I've, I've howled the moon so many times and I've, you know, there's this, like I say, there's, I, as my book says, you know, there was a time where I was to that point of just like far beyond that so it's so you know it's like yeah it's yeah it's 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 it's, it's the last it's the last big bang here it's, and it's still going I'm, I'm 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 so you know lucky to be part of like you know to grab that new wave surfing on that new wave when it happened because it's it's it's, it's the last there hasn't been anything like it any youth movement sense sense you know it's the last one i yeah, mean can you tell me no yeah. no like well i guess there's like there is stuff but it, it's not like this was right because this was like a complete democratization of culture where yeah. around the world around the world exactly and if you could if you as long as you had economic means to do so you brought this up actually last time on the show and it completely changed the way i look at punk history when you're talking about how certain scenes are better documented than other scenes because people had economic means to buy video cameras or pay for records or, and if you didn't, you had to find alternative ways to pay for these records, you know, and, and pay for these being in a band because it costs money. So as long as you had access to 
some way to get economic means or access to this thing you could the world was your oyster you could write your own ticket oh yeah definitely definitely so so Chris yes what do you got in your bag of tricks I I was going to pull this out before I thought it was relevant to the conversation but I don't know if you can see this so this is one of my copies of Darby Crash but it says give me your drugs signed Jerry A (laughs) that's my writing yeah (laughs) So it's 10 out of 80? Yeah. <laughs> wow. That's a sign, right? That's a, is that the second or fourth edition, right, on blue? It's the blue one, yeah. I think that's the fourth press? Yeah, so you know the story about that, about the... Oh, that's the Darby Crash. Yeah. Okay, I was going to say the Pick Your King. You know the story about the Pick Your King, the black and the clear ones. Yeah, right? Malcolm told me the story one time. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so broke my heart to find out that story because I I've waited forever to get a clear one and finally got a clear one only to find out that it's the second press. <laughs> but you know what? But the clear ones came first, and we had um, you know glued them and everything, and you know we put all the love into them in the second, <laughs> and then the old ones came back, and we're just like, oh, let's just Xerox a sleeve and slap and throw them out and get them out there, you know? What's the yeah, story? Be- oh, go on, Turkus. Oh, I was just gonna say. Um- the one, the first time I met Malcolm and he was telling me about all this stuff and he was like, well, me and Tom just bought like a ton of cocaine and stayed up for a whole weekend and glued all those sleeves together. <laughs> yeah. This, this person I was with you the other week, uh, same thing. He lived with Tom and, and the guy, the, the dealer, we all did that. We had like these sessions, you know, and it says like, you think you, you know, you do a thousand sleeves, but, you really don't. You do like a hundred, then you're like tired. Yeah. <laughs> until the next, until the next session, you know. Yeah. <laughs> what was the story behind uh, the um, Portland edition of Kings of Punk? Um, that's the Pusshead one, right? Yeah, and there's like a there's a Portland edition that has two posters and two stickers, and it was like uh, a Portland exclusive, I believe, or something. Right? Is that the story, Cooch, or something? I, yeah, I guess so. Well, that's the one that, that yeah. Well, the pus had made for the, you know, because Tom, um, we thanked all those bands on that, yeah, on the poster, and Tom, you know, that was before that was before Screwdriver, uh, turned into like the what they became, and they they were kind of I think I don't I'm not sure what single came out about that time, maybe it was back with a bang. It was one of the ones that wasn't, they weren't full on. They didn't do the the bad one, right? Yeah. The bad signal yet. But anyway, Tom thanked, I think he thanked, is Gigi Allen on the the poster? You'd have to look. Yeah. Okay. Well, he's, okay. Well, Tom thanked, I I remember Puss had censored two people. Tom said, he goes, I want to thank Screwdriver and I want to thank, I think it was GGL and Puss said wouldn't do it. And Tom and Tom lost it. He got really mad because he's like, this is censoring. You know, and it was like if you if you I mean, they had like Hank Williams and you know Orson Wills and all these people that you know, but but these are the people that influenced Tom and he you know from he liked that record, he liked that first record. It's a, just a bad rock and roll record, you know. So well, it's like a, I guess it's a completely different lineup from what they would ultimately become same with Gigi Allen obviously Gigi Allen in that period versus the Gigi Allen at the end seems like it was a slightly different person 
as well. But sure, I'm sure. Yeah. Um, I guess when you're, <laughs> I guess when you're at maximum rock and roll and you're kind of around those circles back then, you realize like, yeah, it's better, probably better just to censor this. <laughs> is it is there ever a, a time that's better to censor anything? <laughs> well, I think the the Gizem reissue they took off the swastika, you know, and I think that's one of those things where it's like this might cause more headaches than brings people to the record. Mm-hmm. There's a band from here, Legion, that had a record one time, and the album cover had some demon on it, and then Jesus licking its hoof with a crucifix up his ass and they could not find a printer to print it anywhere in the world well when we put out the inmates lp they the place that we used to do the posters wouldn't do it because it said like fuck off jesus and mary or just like something really you know <laughs> offensive to some people pretty tame like in the grand scheme of things yeah yeah <laughs> walter from imprint called me and he's like we got this real holy roller he called him over at the print shop and he's like and they won't run that job for you <laughs> Well, well the idea is sorry on Trey. No, you see an opportunity start a printing plant that like welcomes all blasphemous right. material. Yes. <laughs> we'll print anything. Yeah, there you go. Uh where did the idea to kind of start signing these records come from too? Because there's like a there's a couple different poison idea records that had signed editions. A lot of them, seems like. Yeah. You know, I don't know where I mean who would be the first band to sign records i it's all i mean i know we didn't make it up I, we probably had something that was you know i have a signed clash record i have a signed generation x record but they're not uh, like an addition like they, it wasn't like the clash being like okay there's gonna be a hundred signed versions of this record on this color of vinyl or numbered this much and we're gonna you know like there's a couple different records that have this sort of like signed edition type thing and i can't think of other bands that did that now I can think of more bands doing it, but like back then. Yeah, like what, the live what, one with the signatures over the passports. Yeah. You know, I don't think we we set out to do that. I don't think we set out to do it. We just we just kind of felt like we're, you know, that was we just did that. I don't remember like, you know, signing and thinking that we, you know, we just kind of did it as we were like signing them. That's just I don't I don't think we like really Thought, thought that out, thought that through. It's just something came to us. Well, because punish me, they're that, all... that, it's a whole new thing. Now I'm thinking about that. I'm like, did we actually think about doing that? Did we think about? Well, like, yeah. there must be because like there's that there like the one that Cooch just showed, and there's also obviously the punish me one where there's all different. You know what? How many members sign it varies, but there's always like a signed of that version of that record, the first press and numbered. It seems like. You know, like that idea that you're talking about, like folding the sleeves, like that's a way to have that sort of, I don't know, like that authenticity touching the hand of the band type thing. And well, maybe that, maybe that's where it came from because I think I think one of the first times we saw that was from like the uh, all of the um, like the process of elimination thing and those those fixed singles. They're not fixed, but negative approach where they would sign the inside of them and, and write stuff. Yeah, so that was taking it, you know yeah yeah because it's 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 so cool like i love obviously like cooch and i are both you know massive collector nerds about poison idea records but there's just something so neat about that being a thing and and like yeah it's like there's not too many bands doing it like obviously bands are like writing on the sleeves but the idea that like you know this is this is something more than that 
Yeah. So, so Chris, let me ask you. There, there's one record that um, I've heard about before. The the pus had the the yellow flexi disc, the Japanese flexi disc. <laughs> Which what like the one that comes with the Japanese LPs? The poison idea of Japanese flexi yellow. Do you do you have that? No. Yeah. The rare. The, that was like it came with what like cleanse the bacteria Japanese edition or something, and I just never bothered to pony up the money yeah. for it. Yeah, that's one. I've never I've never seen it. Or I've heard about it. It's one of those, you know, one of those things you hear about, but you never see it. It took me forever to find the uh, Babes in Toyland split. I don't know the Babes in Toyland split. There's like a, an Australian-only split, right? Yeah, that was it. Babes in Toyland. The Babes in Toyland one, yeah. <laughs> what, what a strange, you know, what it, it's like when you see those old, like, you know, like whatever like pink floyd and, you know like tom jones or something you know <laughs> label sample. it's like that same thing babes in toilet and poison idea it's like wow well you're also That's... on a split seven inch with nirvana <laughs> well that kind of makes sense a little closer way. to home though yeah it's true yeah. but babes in toyland it's funny when you talk to you talk to the people from Bikini Kill. You talk to a lot of the people from Seattle. It seems like they had a real tight connection to the Seattle scene. I guess less so to Portland. Um, Nirvana? No, no, Babes in Toyland. Oh yeah, well they they did that sub pop thing, you know the the yeah, and they, and they would they were it was like Minneapolis and Seattle was kind of like there's always been a the Northwest and Minnesota. A lot of uh, like Norwegian giant, you know, back and forth. It was like it was like the from the settlers' days, from hundreds of years ago. They they would like we have like relatives in the mid Minnesota right there, and they you know they come they go west, young man. And yeah. So yeah, it's it's uh, we've always I mean we the from from like. Laughing Hyenas, uh, Urge Overkill, Babes in Toyland, all the, you know, replacements from the first time, from the first tours, they would come to the Northwest and they would, you know, Husker do. I mean, they came here the first time and um, Portland and Seattle, and they stayed here for like five days. And, you know, they came to Portland, just like loved it. It was like a home away from home. So it's, we've always been, there's a, there's a lot of places, I think like Boston and New York kind of does that the way. They're kind of, you know. Well, I know on Olympia certainly, and and uh, Washington D.C. have that kind of connection as well. Definitely. And uh, yeah, it, it, it's funny uh, that first Who's Do tour. There's like a website you can see all the shows they ever played, and it seems like they went to every city and stayed like three or four days, including Calgary. Oh. They did three or four days in Calgary, Vancouver, yeah, Portland, as you said, Seattle, and uh, it, it's it's a fascinating kind of thing to watch them do this tour, and then they come back, of course, and they've. Once again, they've they've brought back this sort of hardcore sound with them, to much to the chagrin, I'm sure, of some local people. Yeah. Oh, Cooch, what else you got in the box? I don't know. What do you want to know about? <laughs> what do we need to talk about? What do you got test press-wise? Um, all right. Let's see. All right. So here's Pick Your King test press. That's got, wild. That was from Malcolm. Uh, I think it belonged to Tom previously. Oh, is that signed? Is the label signed? No, you know, 
All right, so yeah, I think this one's just blank. Okay. But it has like um, this homemade sleeve with it. Uh huh. Have, have you seen the, have, have you seen the one the the with the label signed? I and saw, it's sorry, like, this is like delving deep into my <laughs> memory here. Um, I remember like maybe like in the beginnings of eBay someone sold the test press and it said like it had a whole bunch of stuff that you must have written by yourself and it sold at the time for like a hundred bucks which was more than i you know would have ever spent on a record in 1998 or whatever so yeah i, I, wrote, I, I wrote something like to my friend tom and i wrote i signed it and it said all this shit on this is our yeah. first record blah 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 yeah that, that record mysteriously disappeared from tom's house and uh wound up we kind of have our our theories where who took it and where it went but uh yeah I, I saw that one i saw that one time and then you know what it was like years later after tom passed and and i was like that's where that went that's the record what you know so i think yeah i'd have to get in touch with i think it's some kid in detroit has it it might be like a friend of a friend <laughs> yeah well I wonder if it sounds better than the the, rec the other records. <laughs> I don't think it sounds. <laughs> well, then, okay. um, somebody else. Oh, Jeff Nelson from Minor Threat sold one on eBay. That was had like a really lengthy note from Malcolm, and it might have had like um you know him buying wholesale copies of like Discord singles and stuff. But it was like right. you know here's the record we're putting out. Like check it out and let me know what you think. Uh, and that's that awesome. sold like you know, thousands of dollars or something. And then <laughs> after that, Malcolm hit me up and was like, hey, this guy I know wants to sell this copy. Do you want it? And I was like, yeah, sure. And I was going wow. to Seattle to visit a friend at the time. So we drove down to his house and bought a bunch of records from him. Wow. Yeah. You know, like I say, that that's it's I, I totally understand because I, you know, I have that that Protex single and right. that Pink Section single, and it means something to me. But um, it's it's about the music, and and I and we're putting together the stuff with me and Mark now, and and yep. me with American Leather doing the things, and and each one's you know a, a work of love, and and I like creating these things, and I like you know presenting these and giving them to the world and stuff, and I can see that you know at one time that must have you know the first first pick your kings or the second pick your kings or the record collectors they were they were you know what we did and we, and we sent them out there and they were you know but uh i don't know when it comes down to it it, it is you know the music and stuff but I, I dig the art and i you know yeah i always love it and it's cool yeah. to mark sends me yeah. like copies of all the records to sort of like beta test before they come out <laughs> he's yeah. always hitting me up for my opinion and stuff so well, he's you know he's doing a great job. He's yeah, doing they, a really good job on this stuff. Yeah, absolutely. It's good. It's finally. I don't know. It's like obviously you guys have had records come out, but as you talked about before, it wasn't always under <laughs> your discretion or by your choice in some cases. With and so to have these records come out properly now, and you know, kind of these authoritative editions of stuff, and to have all this stuff in one place, it's it's awesome. Yeah, I mean, some of some of the mixes, like on like Tang or whatever, or, or some of these things, are just are just so, you know, cut corner, just sound like crap, and you know, and that's the finals. Just it's yeah, it's I don't know. It, it's it's 
it's nice to like have some say into it and put some you know quality it's i remember buying, i bought one of the uh i think it was like the last tang version of i don't know record collectors or whatever before mark started doing this stuff and i thought it was like a low even a low point for him where the center label of the record was like an ad for his label <laughs> Whoa, oh, that's wow. amazing i love that edition now and even i don't even know if it had like the poison idea logo on it but it was it was like you know for more tang products like www dot <laughs> wow wow reminds me of that smith song that you know death at one's elbow or whatever it's like you know that song where it's like you know a, a throw in a tacky badge and whatever repackage reissue rebuy you know this and this and it's just like you know that's what it reminds me of it's just like the guy's more more worth more dead than alive you know just keep fucking putting out the same stuff and repackaging it and throwing throwing a button throwing a sticker you know you know free t-shirt with this and that it's with the same quality just keeps you know just going xeroxing it over and over so it's diminished more and more and just <laughs> one of my favorite my protect single in my collection i guess would be my rkl record that was an edition that doug moody put out signed by doug moody <laughs> nice. He's still nice. I should start doing that. You know, on American Leather, I'm a. I just got the new Dissension from L.A. tonight. I listened to it, and it's sounds crazy. I'm like, wow, this sounds like old punk from the '80s. You guys are really, really from Long Beach, and I'm going to put it out. And I'm going to do that. I'm going to start I, when the records come out. I should, I should sign them all myself. You know, <laughs> exactly. I have nothing to do with it at all. I should put them on the front of it. Well, I think that's that's like the sub pop style too, right? Like where where it's like make the label more important than the record, you know, make it like the label sells the record more than the record sells the label. Right. Sure. Well, that is sub pop. Yeah. There's. Yeah, I'm going to Seattle Airport. There it is. Yeah. Yeah. You don't. You don't. They don't have a Matador store in the New York Airport in LaGuardia or anything. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe there could be a Tang Record Store at Logan. I don't know. <laughs> There's a just to get away. There's the rejected test press, which has a different is it a different mastering job, Cooch, or a different mix? I don't know that any of the ones that are rejects I've ever been able to tell the difference. I listened to them. I think there's like I thought there was, but it's been a long time since I did a side by side comparison. Again, I, yeah, I probably haven't listened to these records in a million years. So yeah, is there like any other rejected test press with different mixes on them or different things like that? Um, oh yeah, I, think, I know, I know what record the, the, collectors, right? Yeah, that one. And getting the fear. Well, there's one of the Beast Goes East. There's a thing where where they uh, where Tom's guitar is completely out of the mix. Oh yeah. Oh whoa. And it sounds like yeah, it's bad. And so we had to fix that. But there's there's a couple that um, I mean, you know what? It's there's there's we're we're releasing new records now, and it's like subliminal. We put like way in the back. I'm like whispering. I'm like, <laughs> so, like so it's like, you can't really hear it, but it's. I, I want to mix with all that and push way up to the front. Just your, your, uh, <laughs> yeah, like, cut everything back and put a disco beat on it. So. What's the story on the, you guys catching someone bootlegging the record and taking all the copies? Is that a story? Like, there's something like there's a seven inch bootleg, uh, which I guess is maybe the same recording as official bootleg, maybe not. But like, you guys caught the bootlegger. 
Oh, you know what? That sounds. There's so many weird things like that that could have happened. Which one? Is it this, Damien? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, is that the this double seven inch or the that's no, the, like the that's the bootleg? But I think yeah. the double seven inch is is maybe the same recording or it's just it's a bootleg seven inch of the plastic bomb cassette. Yeah, you know what? Like I've seen. I've gone into record stores or been on tour and played festivals and seen that kind of stuff. And I just asked the guy, I'm like, this is mine. This is a bootleg. And sometimes they, sometimes they give it up. And, you know, I, I joke about it with other things, you know, like the guy who made our socks. I said that I go, this guy, bootleg, but I was totally in cahoots with him. We, it was together, but it was so funny because boys had his socks. I'm like, that's so, you know, but, um, those yeah i've done that i've gone to festivals and seen poison idea bootlegs and just taken you know the couple copies they've, they've had and what are they going to do you know but that I, I remember i've done that a few times it's not like uh oh the, what i'm thinking yeah it's the plastic bomb we got the beat and there's like there's a version that i guess the bootlegger did first and then there's a version that you guys sign and number once again back to that sign and numbered edition thing <laughs> Yeah, like I said, I you know we've I've been stores before and, and seen bootlegs, and you know what are you going to do? I've you know got pissed before and, and done that. Um, I you know when when uh, I remember an old time when uh, Alchemy owed us money, and and we went to when Victor worked at Rough Trade in San Francisco, and we went in there and had somebody wait outside and, and kind of like shut the, shut the clothes sign and um, just kind of bullied him. What walked in there and said, we want, you know, want our stuff and people didn't know it. And we started kind of like breaking stuff and acting like assholes. And um, it was bad. It was bad. We were bad people. We, we went to the record store and there was like six of us. One guy waited outside and we went inside and, said we want to talk to victor and they're like he's not here and like well this is our stuff we started taking stuff and people started knocking shit off the shelves and walking around and they're like what are you doing what are you doing they're like you know and we started kind of like trying to be tough guys and um just intimidating them and we like we want to you know we want our stuff and we left and by the time we drove from san francisco to portland he left a message and is like, you have your master tapes, you have this, you have, you know, everything's on its way. Don't worry. So we, we paid him. It's just, I'm not proud of that stuff now. You know, it's like the stuff you do when you're young and stupid. I think it's, it looks funny on movies and stuff, but in real life people, you know, get affected by it. It's like just it, intimidating people. It's like, <laughs> you know, it was, it was makes for a good story. Well, and it's also just like the reality of, you know, this is, you know, like you're not going to hire a lawyer and go after this guy in court. You know, like there's a. It, well, it's it? just like, well, basically, it's like taking the bootlegs again. Same yeah. thing. Yeah. It's like taking the bootlegs. What, you know, that's what it, it kind of comes down to that. If you boil away all the fluff, it, the end result is doing that, you know? So why cut away, why not cut away all the, you know, to begin with and get to the, to the action? And that's what we did, you know? 
it's interesting now where like bootlegging has become such a part of culture you know like it's just like established that people bootleg but like you know fuck the bootlegger was definitely written on a bunch of records i have or and and you know like the stories of taking the records from bootleggers bootleggers at one point it's like it was looked as theft oh yeah yeah and it's yeah you know what i know people who do that and stuff kind of and uh it's i all all this i mean it's i have no opinion on it because it's what are you gonna do you know i i have my own opinion but i'm not gonna like spew and start going crazy right now because i i think it's fucked and i think um i think artists need to be paid and i think uh you know no matter what it is no matter what it is me and my wife just went on a thing last night about that about this person talking about how it all should be free and all this stuff and, and the only people who say that are people who've never worked in their lives and, and never had to like you know it's yeah i think um you know i don't know there was a band from here that maryland's vitamins that put it was going to put it a tape that was like gas don't run on hugs and records aren't pressed with good intentions uh, <laughs> or vans don't run on hugs and gas and yeah records aren't pressed with good intentions or something to that for extent you know and it's like that's the reality like you know it costs money to produce this thing and you know unless no one's really getting rich off it and the idea that like you're gonna take something away from the person that made it is is you know i think that's something that i think i can understand why people think it's fucked yeah i mean i could you know we, we could we could take these live jack white or live Metallica or live whatever tapes and 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 press them up and and make money off them and and you know people think well they're they're already millionaires so why should they care and stuff but that's you know it's like where where do you draw the line well that's, and they will you know, sue you they will they will come after you in a way that they won't even just shake you down at the record store they'll shake your whole family down for for everything <laughs> maybe okay. not Jack White you know or maybe maybe not Metallica personally but there there'll be a lawyer involved. <laughs> Okay, I'm going to take you up on that one. Let's see about that. <laughs> <Let's> see. <laughs> I I wouldn't want to uh, come up on the wrong side of Jack White. We all know how that Von Bondi situation ended. Yeah, yeah. My 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 lips are sealed. <laughs> I met Jack White one time, and he was he was ripped. Like it was like, whoa, this guy is ripped. It's crazy. Cause you you don't assume it. Yeah, but man. Yeah, I, heard, I heard wrestler. That, well, I heard that he grapples with Carrot Top. <laughs> I was just about to say I saw Carrot Top in Vegas one time randomly in a casino, and he was fucking jacked. <laughs> yeah, because like, can you imagine how much times that guy gets fucked with? You know, like back to that Bikini Kill story we we're talking about. Like, imagine how many times Carrot Top gets fucked with to a point where he's like, you know what? No more. Yeah, come at me. Who would fuck with Carrot Top, and why? Um, <laughs> <laughs> chairman of the board. That movie? <laughs> Leave him alone. I mean, you know what? I live in a city where where that band or the band, excuse me, the, the movie Jackass came here and filmed a bunch of shit. And and they said the people, the whatever his name is, the uh you know, Jackass. Yeah, what's, Johnny what's Knoxville. Johnny Knoxville said he said Portland is the only city we've ever been to where people will just come up to you in a bar and want to fight you because you're on television. They, you're, <laughs> yeah. 
He's like, he's like, Portland's such a horrible city. It's like people are just, you know, they want to fight you. That that's just his way of trolling Danger Aaron. (laughs) (laughs) You must know Aaron. The Aaron, I love that dude. That's that's my unofficial mayor of Portland. After you. Yeah, I've never, you know, broke bread with him, but I know he is. You did. You smoked weed with him one time. You, me, and him in the basement of uh, uh, Dante's, maybe. Uh, I'm blanking on where. Yeah, that's right. That's right. I tell you, we, we, it all comes together through the cannabis. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Better living. <laughs> wow. It is a. It's a. It's a tough town. It's, a, it's definitely a, a Portland's no joke. It's actually one thing I wanted to ask you about is, um, and once again, this is something if you don't want to talk about, it, I can definitely cut out. But I remember after Tom died, you having quite a, 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 a like a quite an open beef with um jim goad talking about washington and january 6 and all that stuff um he seems like he would have been a, a real kind of a storm cloud at times in portland yeah yeah i mean you know tom tom kind of hung out with that guy and stuff and and um i'd let you know until that i'm sitting in a, a room with somebody and can talk to them face to face and see what get to the bottom of it. Ask why, why, why. People can throw around accusations and rumors and shit and whatever. And you know what? You can never get to the truth of it. It's all just like rumors and whatever. But uh, he, he, you know, I think he, he liked to instigate a bunch of shit. And it's what what he did. It's just ruffled feathers, and that's you know whatever. That's fine. It's- um, yeah, he talked about your yeah, he talked shit about Tom and um you know that there's a new there's uh supposedly I haven't heard it yet, but the new Mr. Bungle record came out and they and they met, dropped some shit about Tom and, and Chai Pig. What song. yeah, yeah. Talking about in some lyric one of one of their songs, they say something about, you know, two two deceased people about being drug addicts. So it's like wow. And, Har har har, you know, it's like so you know what guys really like leave it at that. It's kind of the same thing. It's like I think I've you know gone beyond that by now, you know. So that's that I had no idea about that. That's that is wild. Um but you know, just in terms of answer me, it's interesting to look at the effects that has had. You know, talk about like Gavin McGinnis is a hundred percent He's like a Jim Goat acolyte. Like that's where he got that whole playbook from. And it's just, it's just sort of like this idea that you can, you can put shit out in this world. You can talk shit. You can, you know, play with things, you know, and, and there's no consequences. And that's sort of this sort of, uh, you know, like, I think that's sort of like the worst side of that kind of comes out of the punk thing. I think there is consequence. I think there is. Well, there definitely is consequences, definitely. But I mean, like the idea that there's, you know, they don't perceive there to be consequences. Keep perceiving. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, well, um, this has been unbelievable. And uh, I got to say, anytime you want to come back on this podcast, Jerry, you know, the door is always open. And Cooch, anytime you want to come back on this podcast, too, you know, the door is always open. Hey, Damien. Yes, Jerry. Let me drop a quick thing really quick. Yeah. Or I'm not, um, I'm not rushing you off. Like I was going to go to finishing moves now, but if you, yeah, please. 
No, no, because I got um, <laughs> two two quick things. Uh, um, we did, my band Poison Idea did a record some while ago with this uh, place in Portland called Voodoo Donuts. Yeah, right. So Trace, the owner, gave me a gold card where I can get donuts for life. Right. <laughs> so tomorrow, yeah. So tomorrow is Fourth of July, and I have to. Be at this uh, donut tomorrow at six o'clock to get dozens of donuts to go give to my community because I'm such an upstanding community member now. That's number one. And number two, um, I'm playing a show later this month in Portland, Dante. So I just wanted to plug that. Oh, you know, I definitely, and I was going to, I'm going to do plugs for the reissues and the book and everything. I, you know, I do oh. those wraparounds of the beginning of the podcast. Oh, I so I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to have to make you plug your own stuff. Don't worry. I'll be plugging, uh, you know, Kucha's store and his, his new book that he just put out with SSD and all that kind of stuff. And then of course, oh, okay. everything you're doing I as well. You, I thought you were kicking me off. No, dude, no, do not worry. <laughs> but I don't want to keep you. You've got to get up at 6am to, uh, to yeah, do this. I think it's. I, I, I want to say that it's like, I think one of the greatest things that I've gotten to experience from being a fan is getting to meet you and getting to know you and getting to see you in this sort of like other chapter of your life. Like it's, it's funny you bring up that story in Prague being this sort of like turning point because I met you after that. And it's just, uh, it's been so cool to, to, you know, you know, get to meet well, the guy that inspired me so much. I'm, I'm glad. I'm glad that that's that's when we met because you yeah. know a year before that you probably would have been picking your pocket or something, you know. Yeah, no, I remember. <laughs> I remember going up to you at that show because it was after a bunch of the Austin stuff and all that thing had gone down, and just being like, "Yo, I don't care about anything that happened in the past. You're the greatest singer of all time, and I'm very excited to see you play tonight." And that was the first thing I ever said to you. Well, hey, kudos. Yeah, you know, it's the same. It's like it's like you guys blew my mind and we dedicated songs to you that night it was like i think it, it started a, a lifelong friendship that night you know absolutely well i appreciate it and cooch my friend my my record collecting god my my record collectors are my heroes not pretentious assholes uh i gotta thank you for coming on buddy anytime we should do it again you know what was remember when we me you and jonah we we're gonna do the band scum yes Maybe that can just be like a episode of Turned Out of Punk. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly.